What's up and welcome back to another episode of Coast to Coast. Ronan's fun to be back. We got to talk some big basketball in the series, second series of the playoffs. And I know where you want to get started, but unfortunately, it won't be with your boy Embiid. So you want to go right to the heat, right to Philadelphia. Why don't we just dive into it? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it just, it just had to happen. He'd been too healthy this season. He just had to go down at the most vital possible moment in uh, in the 76ers series. It just, just sums up uh, Embiid's career almost. It's been plagued by uh, injuries in, in important moments and injuries overall. And it's having, a, I won't say a ginormous impact. I mean, don't get me wrong, even with Embiid, there's a good chance that this Miami team could still easily be 2-0 up, but you're really noticing the difference without Embiid in this Philly team. They just look like a group of players that have no business being in the postseason, let alone the second round. And I've been trying to fight it off, but I have to join the club and admit it that the James Harden that we knew in Houston is absolutely dead. He is no longer there anymore. Yeah, that's maybe that, that's where we where we go with all this because it's pretty obvious that this team is not good. That Embiid, you can take an MVP off of any team, they're they're not going to be even close. But I think the drop off is it's pretty striking for me. The, the drop off is that they were a good regular season defense, but I think you know there are a lot of holes in their defense out there. There's clear that you know their perimeter defense was lacking. And there are just so many weaknesses on this team that could be exploited. And a lot of that was glued together by Embiid for sure. And it's crazy when the trade went down that when Harden went to the 76ers, you know, we thought that that was just going to be, I, I was, I was completely sold on that being a match made in heaven and that you could sit Embiid for more time and you can expect Harden to really take over offensively. You know, maybe you can rediscover that. And at least with his playmaking, but the funny thing about this team is that when you really think about the, the makeup is that his playmaking doesn't really matter as much when his teammates just aren't ready for the moment in terms of being shooters and being able to capitalize off of the playmaking that Harden has done. Because I, I think I won't blame Harden for, for the role that he's played because you want him to be a playmaker in the situation. You want all the offensive flow through him. And I think he's done a, I think he's done a good job of that. He's done a good job of creating open looks for others. But I, I you hate to put it this way, but it's a make or miss league. And, you know, these shooters on in Philadelphia are just not making it happen. You don't have that. Like Danny Green's not an elite three-point shooter anymore. Shot not one for nine from three in game two. Just unreal. It was one of those nights where you just like, you just lose complete confidence in the heat – totally capitalized off of that, just laying off of shooters and just collapsing the paint and the way that they just scramble around. I think it really rattles non-elite shooters, which frankly, this team just does not have. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's very, uh, very simple. You see that we've seen it in both games. I mean, it's just been the Philly defense being unable to get any sort of consistent stops and then their offense just cannot deal with the pressure that's being put on them by the Miami defense. It's, it's kind of, it's startling really, but the, the biggest thing you'd going back to the, the hard thing is like, I mean, game one, he only takes 13 shots. Game two, then he takes 15. So he's taking less shots and making less shots. It's all just going 
going in the wrong direction for him. I know the way Maxi's been playing it and and Harris, you kind of split. Now that Embiid's out, you should be thinking you split his amount of shots between both Harden and Maxi. I mean, I want I want James Harden taking twenty shots a game. That that should be what he's doing, but obviously the way he's playing, you don't want him taking any shots almost how bad with how bad he is uh he's shooting. But the fact that he is not either in close to like the lead guy in terms of amount of shots taken just shows the regression in his career. Maybe he's not able to get open like he could like he used to. Maybe he just doesn't have the confidence in his shot, but it's a startling level of uh of regression so quickly. And I mean if Maxi keeps developing, I think Philly might even be looking to not uh, not push you hard when it comes to uh, comes to giving Harden the new deal. And I think they certainly will be making a mistake if they try getting give him anything close to a max deal. That, man, that's a tricky thing. We we gonna talk about Harden's free agency already? <laughs> no, we won't. We won't. We won't oh man! That, but that's just something oh, that Philly man. need to be uh, need to be thinking of. That's it's tough. I mean. In the second half, where you know it's it's within reach. I mean, the Heat haven't reached the apex of what they can do. I don't think they they haven't scored efficiently, and you know the, even defensively, like 76ers are getting a lot of open looks, and they're they're able to to generate what should be good offense. But you just look at the scoring, and you said it. Tyrese Maxey had 23 points in the second half, game two. James Harden had four. I mean, even Tobias Harris is having a good good series so far. I mean, yeah. he's he's played efficiently. He's played really good defense on both ends, and he's been like the perfect two way glue guy. And again, I, th- I think we just always think of him based on his contract, not his contribution. But he's doing his job, and I don't. And we want to talk about off season. Does does Harden realize the player he is now? And how do you address that? That's really complicated. How do how do you address a player that? has fallen off of what his real value should have been. He, that value isn't there anymore. He's not a max player right now, but you got to pay him to, but that man, that that's a tough conversation, but we'll definitely address that at some point. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at this, you see a heat team that still is dominant defensively has room to grow. They even have a guy like Victor Oladipo who, yeah. Has shown some pretty clear just signs of being himself, yeah. which is a scary thought. Um, and I think funny, you can really not not just about the, the play of each team, because that's that's pretty obvious what the Heat are. They they're demonstrating what they've been all season with their depth, with the fact that they can beat you by being better than the next guy. You know, they, they don't have a whole bunch of stars, you know, they're not gonna lean in on that. I mean, Jimmy Butler's obviously a star, Bam Adebayo's definitely a star. But their whole makeup, it's we've talked about ad nauseum, like their whole makeup, every single guy is ready for the task at hand. And they're ready to also sit. I mean, look at Duncan Robinson, like had a great, great first series against Atlanta. And then, you know, in this matchup, he's just going to get sat. And that's just what happens. You're going to play Victor Oladipo more. You're going to play more physical against this team. The 76ers were clearly not ready for that physical brand of basketball. But how much of an indictment is that, or you know, not an indictment, but a juxtaposition rather of a coach like Spolstra who's willing to make so many different adjustments and 
uh, Rivers, who literally is like, I basically said, I don't care what you think, but anyone thinks I'm going to play DeAndre Jordan. I'm going to do this. And it's, it's funny to just hear him say things like in the second half, he was, he was talking to the team and, and he was mic'd up and he said, we're not going anywhere, which <laughs> and I know he didn't mean it that way, but he's like, we're not going anywhere. We're just going to keep playing. And that's how we're going to win. <laughs> I'm sure they, they conveniently cut out any strategic things he's talking about, but it was, it was just a funny soundbite of, of representing what at least it feels like his tenure has been like in the playoffs. And it's, it's sad to see, cause you know, he's, he's been a celebrated coach. He's had good moments, but I think he's clearly been out coached for the past five, six years. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's fair. I think his, maybe his, his style or his brand of coaching is kind of, it's going out of fashion that, that, that can't happen, unfortunately. And also, in this situation, he's also stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place without uh, without Embiid. It's not really something you can you can. Uh, it's something that's very difficult to plan for, and what you're going to really see any sort of really positive impact without uh, without your star player. I think one thing I'd say we've seen it in both games is just the way Bam Adebayo has just taken that 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 little bit of extra space and that that's been given to him without Embiid being there and he is just absolutely dominating the paint and just controlling the game. I mean Bam Adebayo is looking like a freaking elite all NBA level talent in in this series, taking advantage of what's been given to him. And that's what that's what the great players do. I mean game one did a bit of everything, 24 points, 12 boards, four assists, couple of steals, a block, goes eight of ten from the field. Similar enough performance um in game two and like you said already, the team on the whole, when and they don't even have a player who scores over 25 points, but they still put up 119 points. It just shows the contributions they're getting from all over the team and just shows how well, how well coached you are, Eric Spolcia. I'd like to see him get coach of the year because I'm shocked he hasn't got one already. It'll probably go to Monty Williams, but he's shown what an elite level coach he is. Absolutely. Um, but you know, it, I'll say two things. One, Willie Collie Stein, just saying, would have been would have been real helpful here. Um, just just to give you minutes, just to give you minutes. Um, and two, yeah, they're without Embiid. And I'll I'll give a caveat that maybe this isn't a great example because we'll talk about what the series in the West means for the Jazz. But look at how the Mavs survived without Doncic. Like they could lean on an alternate style of play. This 76ers team cannot play offensively without Embiid just being like there's there's a reason why his on-off numbers are ridiculous. Because they can't do anything outside of him creating an advantage for them. And I think that's that's such a great sign for how dominant. Embiid has become and how good of a playmaker he's become just using his his size and his strength and his offensive, just otherworldly talent that forces defenses to completely focus on him and allows his teammates to be better. But without that, where did they lean on? And Maxi's not ready for it. I mean, Maxi is doing fantastic. I mean, for his age, but Maxi's not ready to to be a playoff superstar. I mean, that's that's not what he's there for. I think that's what Harden's there for. But I, I think I want to take that chance to just transfer over here and let's talk about Dallas and the Suns. I think both these series are are both 
a little less interesting than the other two. We wanted to save the best for last year because both these series, I think, are showing you how dominant the best teams in the NBA are um, and the Suns to another level than what the Heat are doing. Because I think, again, the Heat can they can get to another level. I think they're not really there yet. But the Suns, man, they are just we, – we come off the heels of Chris Paul hitting every shot <laughs> that he put up. You get Devin Booker back in the series, looks healthy, looks spry, as efficient as ever. Everyone's contributing up and down the board. The defense just looks so good. And Luka Doncic scores 45 points in a near triple-double in game one. Just like unstoppable. This is what Luka does, right? And they still lose. Still lose. And I, I guess what's the what's the verdict here? Is Does this just mean that the Jazz, they didn't belong there? Or are the Suns just on a whole nother level? It's just the matchups? Like what, what explains the, the crazy difference now for the Mavs who are 0-2 and they're in a serious disadvantage against what looks to be the best team in the league versus what they did against the Jazz, which was so impressive and how they did it, especially with Doncic for much of the series. Yeah, yeah. I think looking at it, looking at those the first two games, I'm just looking at it and thinking Luka Doncic is a Michael Jordan and he is just waiting for his Scotty Pippen. That's that's the way that I, I, I'm. It was supposed it. to be Brunson. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't that first series. But uh, now looking at what Brun- Brunson is doing, I mean, he is just a complete liability on the defensive end. He's getting in, gotten into foul trouble in both games. He looks completely out of place just even being on that court, the same court as those Suns players. He's struggling on offense as is Dimwitty, and it's basically just been. Dantich against the uh, against the Suns. I mean, game one, obviously, he had that unbelievable performance, 45-12-8. Brunson and Dinwiddie combined 9 of 24. The only other player who really showed anything was Kleber when he went off. I think he got like hit like five of his first six threes. And that 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 was re- that was really it. That's really all that they had. They only really started to close in when the game was already won for Phoenix and they had they had dropped off that little bit. I mean that seven point difference really didn't tell the story of the game. I mean the 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 Suns won from the first basket to the last. They led that game. Yeah, yeah, it felt was, like they, they that controlled was it. Really, really impressive, and everything that they did, they just took advantage of everything that they possibly could. I mean the ball movement was very impressive. Twenty seven assists they had in that game. Aiton's mm. domination, just taking taking advantage of the fact that they don't have a top big that can really that can really challenge him. I mean, 25 points, eight boards. He was 12 or 20 from the field. And they took advantage on the boards as well. They won that battle 51 to 36. They had 13 offensive boards in that game. And that was a big thing that, that Coach Kidd talked about. They got to rebound better. They can't give up so many offensive boards. But unfortunately, they just don't have the players. And, and this Suns team are just so well coached they get contributions for everyone who gets on the floor they're all ready to play their role they all know what they have to do and unfortunately dallas just look outmatched right here and it's 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 disappointing yeah i think the the disappointment is is in brunson but i think it's not it's not that he's not playing well it's it's the the fact that he's outmatched physically yeah Yeah. and i think that's it's credit to him for how 
strong he is at his size. And, you know, throughout the season, you know, he's, he's a, he's a top tier, top tier, top five percentile interior scorer. Cause a lot of times he's going against smaller guards, you put Mikhail Bridges on him, put Cam Johnson on him, you put Jake Wright, you put any of these wing defenders that the Suns have on him and it's tough. He makes life tough for him. I mean, he relies on, you know, he doesn't have the size to go over them. He has a quick first step, but he loves to just get to his pivots close into the paint. And he's not, he's, even if he's going to get a step on these guys, he just doesn't have the length that they do. And that's such an underrated thing about this Suns defense is that when they get out there, they come with length and they really know how to bother smaller guys like this. And Devin Booker too, I mean, up and down this roster, the defense is so underrated and they're so solid. And the Mavs, I think this is where it gets interesting. We, we don't want to, I hate that we always do this, but it is fun to think about because this is going to be an interesting offseason. but there are decisions to be made for, for the Mavs here. And Jalen Brunson is um, going from a guy that, Hey, do we actually have to give him like 20 mil a year, 25, the Pistons are going to pay him. And he just really crushed the jazz. He crushed Donovan Mitchell. Maybe Donovan Mitchell isn't a good defender. That's not a maybe. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's not a good defender. And Jalen Brunson isn't, like you said, he's not that Scotty Pippen. He's not that, that answer. So it, it begs the question, you know, as we look at the strengths and weaknesses of all these teams and, and how they've adjusted, you know, they can't take it to the next level without a next level offensive talent next to Doncic. Cause you know, Doncic can do this all on his, on his own. I mean, he literally just he's a few plays away in that first game from making an upset. So they, they, they do go home here. It's a new series, as you like to say. They haven't lost at home yet. We'll, we'll see what happens. Crazier things have happened, right? But it, it just feels like they can't go to that next level. They can't rely on another guy to really get going with the way that the Suns are just completely suffocating everyone else on that team. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, this is a type of series that I really wish that Hardaway Jr. was here for, just to... Yeah. to Another guy you could turn to and say, "Come on off the bench, even get give us that little bit of scoring, that little 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 bit extra that we need in these in these tight situations, especially in in game two, where I mean it was a good run to finish the first quarter and begin the second, and the the Mavs got their first lead of the entire series in the second quarter of game two, and it looked like they were they were they were almost ready to just kind of kick on." Bertans was even even managed to get knocked down a few threes. Then of course he went completely AWOL for the second half as he usually likes to do. Can't put in a full game, but uh, then they they're up two points going into the half. Then uh, Reggie Miller was commenting the game and he said it's like I need to see, we need to see more out of Chris Paul and Devin Booker, and that's exactly <laughs> what happens. I mean Booker yeah. opens the half, he he uh, knocks down back to back threes, they get the lead back, and they did relinquish it again for the rest of the game. And him and Paul end up combining for 41 points in the second half. And Chris Paul, I mean, what more can you say? That fourth quarter, Jalen Brunson hits that three, closes the gap to three points. Then Chris Paul goes, okay, I'll just take over now. Scores 14 points inside the first five minutes of the fourth. As, as scores or assists on the first eight shots made by, by the Suns in the fourth quarter and just ends this game as a contest. It's just... Uh, so impressive and the Suns are are really lucky that he he's back and he's healthy and he's just absolutely balling out at the moment. Yeah, 
yeah, you, you really that's what it comes down to for me is their their biggest strength that we can see that I think as you look at it and maybe we'll talk about this we'll, we'll transition over the Grizzlies and Warriors here but the Mavs are a good defensive team they've proven that they've proven they have the ability to be a good defensive team and they've proven that they've found ways to be versatile offensively so I don't think this is similar. That's as similar to the 76ers heat series where, you know, I think the 76ers are just at a talent deficit. I think the, the Mavs are, they're a good team and they will get better as they retool. But the Suns, they are really, they're good at what they do. <laughs> it's, it's so simply put. It's so simply put. But Chris Paul knows how to take over in the fourth quarter. Devin Booker, I mean, how for how long did we look at him as an empty calorie scorer? But right now, like his his points per touch is like he's he's probably not probably. I mean, it used to be Clay Thompson, but I think Devin Booker now I can say is the one of the most efficient scorers in the league. You know, he doesn't need too many touches throughout the game. He can he can take it within the flow of the offense and he'll score efficiently and he'll let others thrive. And Chris Paul is going to be there when the when you need to ring the bell and you need to end the game in the fourth. You need like like you said six for seven in the fourth. Then in, in what was it six minutes? Just get out there, give him enough of a cushion. Okay, game's over. And it's just that easy. In a forty point fourth quarter for this team. So I I don't know if I start to feel. I feel more confident in them over the Warriors now just given how, how that series has gone. And I think the, this series is really interesting. I really want to, to get into talking about um, Grizzlies and Warriors here. Obviously, the, the Warriors take game one. And the Grizzlies, you know, maybe they look a little, they look a little rattled. They, they seem like a lot of their youth showed throughout that game. And... You're not sure about how you feel about them throughout the like. There's a lot of doubts that creep in because hey, you're facing the Warriors. You're facing this new death lineup, and all you did was beat the Timberwolves because they're young and irresponsible. And how, how did you feel after Game One? Did you feel did you start to feel a little doubt? You feel a little bit differently about how the series might go? Yeah, a little bit, of course. Yeah, I mean, look, we're going from the two to two series that looked like they could be the sweep to the two series that looked like they could go seven games. I mean. <laughs> Just the, the, that Grizzlies Warriors, the first game, I mean, it just showed what a great matchup these two teams are. I think that they, they really have a really similar sort of of play. Of course, like the, the star of, of uh, the Grizzlies is a little bit different to maybe like Steph Curry and that. But on the whole, as, as two teams, I think they, they match up really well against each other. And the main thing, obviously, it was only a one-point win for, um, for the Warriors. One thing I always just look back on is just the amount of the weapons that the Warriors have when after Clay missed those two free throws and then he still steps up and sinks that three, it just shows they've got they got three guys that you can be confident in taking a, 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 a shot in the last inside the last minute. You can go to Curry, you can go to Clay, and you can go to Jordan Poole because he's honestly looking like a, a third splash bro at the moment, the way that he's playing. Oh yeah. And it's just it was just really really impressive, and that got me just a little bit worried that 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 loss the first game at home for the Grizzlies might shake them a little bit. But of course, uh, that that guy Jam around just uh, just just can't this won't be put down. Yeah, I, and I, I want to get to I want to stay at game one for a little bit because I, I yeah yeah 
So I think they they did bounce back in game two, and I think it's it's impressive how they did so. But I it was really curious to me how one one particular thing rebounding has been so good for the Grizzlies all year. And the Warriors, it's not been easy for them. I mean, they were nineteenth in offensive rebounds, and they took it to the Grizzlies so many times. They got so many second chance shots. So many open threes that Curry has really been missing. And, you know, Curry's now 8 for 23 across two game series here, notably 3 for 11 in in game two. But I think you you see this in game one in particular that the Warriors are very active on the boards. And I think their their energy has been fantastic. And I think they've they've met that pretty well consistently. This is so different from facing a Timberwolves team that hasn't brought it to that same level, but I think they've, they've come to the challenge. I mean, the Grizzlies, they haven't backed down from that. So they've responded to the amount of energy that the Warriors have brought, especially on the boards. But um, can we just first give a shout out to Jaron Jackson Jr. for that game one, even though they didn't get the win that was, that felt like it felt like what should have been like a turning point. I was like, wait, this is like Jaron Jackson Jr. Like he's like arriving right now. Before our eyes, like he's he's arriving. Look, look, look what he can do when he's not in foul trouble. Seriously, oh my god! Like I think that this is offensively probably his. This is not probably this is his best game in his career. Thirty-three and ten, a six and nine from three. I mean, he was absolutely on fire. Yeah. It was unbelievable. It was it was it was great to see. But it just it just made me angry, especially when I see in the second game. I know they got the win, but. He fails out. He's in foul trouble for, for most of the game. It's just and and he yeah. did it a lot against uh, against Minnesota as well. It's it must be really infuriating for uh, for Tyler Jenkins watching that because they know what this guy can do on the floor and you know how important he is, even more so on the defensive end. Yeah, yeah, he's he's so important to the team. He needs to stay there, and like just look at the third quarter. They they had a chance to win this because of Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean that. In the third quarter, I mean, the Warriors were just going insane. They were hitting shots left and right, and they're doing it as a a team. And this is, I think, the point where I did feel that the Warriors did look shell-shocked. I mean, this is those moments, the classic moments against the Warriors where the Warriors are just playing suffocating defense, not letting you get to any comfortable spots, not letting you get into your sets. And then on the other end, it's just barrage of threes. And no one outside of Jaron Jackson Jr. was really getting it done. I mean, 14 point outburst and a short spread there in the third quarter. Like that was allowed what allowed a lot of what they did and defensively. Dude, I mean, he's when he's on the floor, this way he can switch, like the weak side help, the way he can get out on Curry, even like there's nothing he can't do, it seems, and on the court except to <laughs> stay out of bounds. <laughs> I know. Oh, uh, but that is crazy thing but um, what Draymond's ejection what, what did you think on that reactionary reactionary I think that it's Draymond Green and he it's because of who he is I think that but I mean he pulled him down to the ground and that I, was, I think well, that was the kill that was the part that did it if he just hit him in the face it wasn't get he wasn't getting thrown out is the fact that he he tried to drag him down as well after doing it. That that kind of did him in there, yeah. Yeah, just the physicality of this whole round, and then obviously in game two, man, that was tough play by Dylan Brooks. To I mean, he, he was trying to be aggressive there, and I think 
there, there's always this correlation of dirty players and good defensive players, and you just can't shake it because of just how physical he wants to be. And the suspension for game three was harsh, I think. You know, you gave it to Grayson Allen. You got to give it to Dylan Brooks. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's consistent. It I, I, I just don't like. I just think it was a bad play. He deserved to get to get ejected. I just think the the uh, the extra suspension is 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 a little bit harsh. But yeah, I mean, at least they're they're remaining consistent with it. I mean, John Morant. I mean, he goes off in game two, and you can, if you're a Warriors fan, you're absolutely arguing he went off because he didn't have Gary Payton in his grill all game long. Because Gary Payton is, you know, I he's their best point of attack defender. Easily. I mean, he has, yeah, and he has the speed and the quickness to stay in front of Jaw. And Jaw's actually, I mean, he's really developed as a shooter from the top of the key. As an on-ball shooter, like, he's really gotten his rhythm down, and he knows when to attack it. He knows when to get to that shot. And I think he's really developed a nice balance there. And most defenders really have to give him a few feet of space because he just wants to load up and get into the paint and he uses that well Gary Payton doesn't give that to him because he's fast enough to stay in front of him they don't have a guy who can do that right now and that's that's huge that that could be that could be the series because they don't have anyone who can really gear up the same way that Gary Payton can on job mm, that's fair I also trust Steve Kerr to, to come up with a plan to to try and nullify him there with the with the power of the power of numbers as well. Don't don't get me wrong, losing Gary Payton likely and unless they were to make it to the finals, he, he's out, he's kind of he could be done for the for their series. And that could uh that could have a really big impact on this Warriors team. But I mean Jan Morant, he, he had he had a pretty good uh, first game too. I mean he was 34, 9 and 10, three steals. The big thing was the shooting though. The Warriors have ten have uh, tested him a few times to to take uh to take more three-point shots, and he's answered the call. Against the Timberwolves, he had four made threes across all six games. Game one, he knocked down four threes. Game two, he's knocked down five threes. So they're testing him, and he is coming, and he is answering that call. And that's that's a big thing for him because he's not going to always get the lane, especially against a really intelligent, good defensive team like the Warriors. They're going to try and push him towards his weak spots. Obviously, in that game, yeah. uh, game two, he was still, still getting into the lane, and he was doing a little bit of everything, and it was just uh, a truly unbelievable performance. But again, that game two, it, it just kind of had me thinking: is the only way this Grizzlies team are gonna are gonna be able to pull off the win here in this series if Ja just goes crazy each game, because they still only won by five points. And that mainly because the Warriors shot seven of thirty-eight from three. I yeah, mean, that is that is absolutely appalling for any team, especially a team like the Warriors, who we always just think about the great days of the Warriors is all because how they're elite three-point shooting, and it just was not there in any sense of the word uh, in game two. And that that's where my my the worry creeps into my mind about this Grizzlies team. Maybe we'll see a bit more of an impact now with no uh, no more Gary Payton, but it just had me thinking. Can it's similar to to Mavericks against against Phoenix? Do they need their star guy to just go absolutely superhuman for them to win? 
Yeah, and I think about it defensively. So I was going to ask you, and maybe that you'll answer the same way. But how did you feel about the Grizzlies defense uh, against the Warriors throughout the the first two games? I liked it in game one. It obviously it had it, it helped that that Jaron Jackson Jr. was on the floor the whole time because you kind of feel that he's kind <laughs> yeah, of the, yeah, for sure. the vocal point. But uh, in game two, they 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 gave up. Uh, a lot of extra looks. Obviously, they got a bit lucky that they were they were uh, shooting so badly. But the Warriors aren't going to shoot as badly as they did in Game Two in any other game in this series. So they're going to have to get out closer. They're not going to be able to afford to give up as many open looks. So that's something that's re- they're really going to have to work hard on. Yeah, I think you know it, it's tough to it's tough to notice things like, like this. Um, you know in when you're looking at a game without paying attention to the details, but when you really start to to look at how the Grizz have been defending, they haven't done actually a great job. They've been super physical and they've made the Warriors uncomfortable. Like they've, when they've been engaged, they've definitely made them uncomfortable, but a lot of miscues on box outs, a lot of miscues on defensive rebounding. That's number one that has led to so many open looks that, you know, I, I'm not worried about the Warriors because I mean that those shots are gonna fall. Like they're not gonna shoot this bad. Um, Clay, maybe Clay's due for a game. I, I'm not I, I think when you look at him, he's looked comfortable, he's looked fluid, he's looked like he's got to his spots, he's had a quick trigger here and there, but those shots are gonna fall, and he's been in that moment too many times to not be to be afraid of it all of a sudden. So he's not gonna stop. And I think also their pick and roll defense has been a little suspect, especially with Curry on ball. They've They've not communicated well in those, and he's been able to cut right through the defense. He's been able to reject the screen. He's been able to do really anything on that pick and roll and just create from that. Like they don't need to go into any crazy actions for them to get an open look because Curry's going to work that out 80% of the time. And that that to me is is worrisome. That that to me is really worrisome because he's if he's going to get those looks and pool has done the same thing. I think him and pool have been able to create, I think you're watching the end of game two. And honestly, you're like the, the words are going to win this game. Yeah. They, they, they have, they have some missed shots and it, and you're absolutely right. Like it, it was literally jaw Morant just being superhuman because they were defending him perfectly. They were forcing him to his left, but like jaw was just getting to this jump pad and scoring over everybody. There's no space there. I mean, in, in the the execution down the stretch offensively too was just John Morant because they weren't creating space for him. Like there's so many plays where like Conchar and Clark are just right under the rim and just still just like just goes down the lane, jumps over his own teammates, jumps over the Warriors, jumps over everyone, and still manages to score down the stretch. But that that's not, I, I agree, that's not sustainable. And I I think that the the way that Golden State has been able to manufacture these open looks is no accident either. I mean, they've they did a really good job um, in the in the fourth quarter of Game Two, where they put Wiggins started getting going from the corner, and Clay, you're never gonna leave Clay alone. They put those two guys in the corners, and with Draymond Green screening at the top and Poole and Curry running actions, like it was it was really difficult for them to stay in front. You got some open looks. Poole got a wide open layup to the to the rim. Curry got two wide open looks and just a lot of raised hands from Grizzlies defenders. I think the big thing for me is the communication. They, the Grizzlies are physical. They're they're an animal, and they know how to be physical. They know how to be aggressive. They make uh, offensive players uncomfortable, 
but the communication doesn't seem to be there consistently for them to do this against the Warriors. And maybe maybe that changes, but I, I need to see that, especially from Ja. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think we're going to really see now, heading back to heading back to San Francisco, we're really going to see mentally where this, this Grizzlies team is at because uh, Golden State Warriors, they're, they're, they're fans, they're their home their homestand, they are one of the most raucous crowds around. So it's oh, yeah. going to be really, really tough for this Grizzlies team to go out there and and put together performances and get wins and make these adjustments. So it's, it's going to be a real sign of where this team is because we all know they're still such a young team. Is this just a year too, too soon for them in the postseason? I think this is that it's as good a tester as you can get. Yeah, I think they they're, they'll they'll have a lot of tape to work on, and they, and they they're very well coached, they're coachable guys, and someone just someone needs to step up as a leader. That's why it's tough. Brooks not being out there. I think Brooks is a great communicator, um, and when you watch them without him on the floor, there's not a whole lot of communication. And I'm gonna keep going back to that because you watch you watch this game and and John needs to do that. John's gonna score, and he's so awesome on that end. But there, there are even plays where, and, and this is where I think year too soon type of thing, because like he's really feeding into this this superstar moment he's having. Because this, I mean, this is time. But like for him to hit a shot on one end, go to the other, and be motioning about his eye to the crowd, and then miss an assignment, like you just can't do that. Like you got the win, but you can't do that. You you can't. And a lot of blaming going on too on on missed assignments. Him and Clark, and it's. I see potential for disaster there, but I hopefully see also potential for for learning moment because you know if we're no if we're noticing things like that, obviously the Warriors are noticing things like that, and they're too smart to not take advantage. Look what Green did; I made mean, a perfect play. They knew Jaron Jackson was was in foul trouble. They just ran this play to get Curry open. They run the same exact play, and he knows he knows that he's going to be in the right spot to take that charge. And just says nothing like. Jackson Jr. had no idea that the that the back pick was right there, and that's just little things like that, man. That it could come down to that, and it probably will. But um, it's it's exciting for this team to be in that position, though. They're so young. Um, are there any players that you've been X factors? Anyone surprising emerging in this in the series that you've liked? Yeah, no, it's more so what I what I haven't seen. I think Bane, they were talking about something with his back in game two. Yeah, he didn't look good. Yeah, he did not look that, good. let's see if that's going to be a lingering thing or not because it, like his three point shooting would be such a huge difference maker for for Memphis on that end, and that's something that they're going to need because it can't just be Jar, can't just be Jaron Jackson Jr. They need they need Ben Bane in there as well to. Uh, to score to score points, score like he did during the regular season, which got which has got them to where they're at now, and just hopefully that's not something that's uh, that's a lingering issue. It, it was just an impact or something, and and he's all good to go for game three and four. Yeah, I think it's not just him though, because like he's he's getting he's getting star treatment. Like when Jaw's not on the floor, he's getting doubled. I mean, you you go back, he's the second he's catching the ball, if he's if he's got like Xavier Tillman one pass away, he's getting doubled from that from that side. Like he's there, the Warriors are treating him like a star shooter, which they should. I mean, he's there's a reason why he's the top five shooter in the NBA. Um, I, I actually the guy I had in mind is Zaire Williams. Yeah. He 
if you're a Grizzlies fan, you notice these things, you notice his growth. I mean, a 20 year old in the playoffs, Brooks gets out. That's your, that's your like go-to dog defender, perimeter defender. You throw him on Curry, make him uncomfortable. I think of, you know, you throw Tyus Jones on Steph Curry, you throw someone quicker. You, you definitely go to Melton first. Their first option was to go to Zaire, Zaire Williams to make Steph Curry uncomfortable. The second I saw that, I'm like, Curry's going to cook. Like, this is over. And Zaire Williams did such a good job staying in front of him, using his length. He even got a steal. He was completely picked off. And he, the way he got down and got a steal on Curry, huge play there, hitting shots down the stretch. And he did not look scared at the moment at all. He's going to be a good player on this team for a long time, long time. And I think he's got a lot of potential too, especially the way he can grow out his body. I, I think he's really showing that he has a chops to be a star player in this league, the way he's playing at the age of 20, unrattled. Yeah, yeah. No, it was big for, for Memphis. They needed uh, Williams and, and Clark combined, I think, for 24 points off the bench with uh, – with Jaron Jackson Jr. obviously in foul trouble, so his scoring was was basically gone there. They they really needed that. That was that was a real di- a difference maker for for Memphis, where they could have they could have uh, lost that a little bit extra with the uh, Brooks going out and Jaron Jackson Jr. in foul trouble. But they they really filled that gap on both ends. Yeah. So what's our verdict? Do do we uh do we think the Warriors figure things out based on the last two games and, and close it out? They, they play, they shoot better. They capitalize on what the Grizzlies have shown are their weaknesses here. And they just close it out at home, 2-0 homestand. Uh, I'm feeling a 2-0 homestand. I'm not, not going to lie to you. I, my, that's what the head of my, if my heart is talking to me, I'm saying the, the Grizzlies keep up the battle, just stay superhuman, and they can, they can split the series uh, in, uh, in Golden State before heading back to Memphis. Yeah, it'll definitely split. I, I think, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm Grizzlies everything here, but I, I do think that the the miscues they've had defensively, they've gotten lucky with. They've, they've gotten away with it, and it's going to bite them in the butt if it continues. And I, well, we'll see. It'll, it'll, take, it'll take a big leap of, of leadership and, and growth, which the Grizzlies have shown. I mean, they, they've done it. But and this is their time to do it against the Warriors. If any time, it's now. But it'll be tough for sure. Um. Moving on to Celtics and Bucks, this is an awesome series too, and it's going to be a lot about defense. This is you got you get to talk a lot about defense in this series for sure. Which you know in the NBA you don't get to talk about a lot. A lot, a lot of it's Doncic going off for forty points, and you know all the star play, Chris Paul going off for crazy nights. But when it comes to Celtics and Bucks, a lot of this is just like simple, simple stuff. A lot of Celtics guys, you were like, hey, and shout out to Kyle. <laughs> Celtics in five. I'm not so sure anymore. The, the Bucks really came out in game one. And what, what did you see there the most? What, what was the biggest factor for you in, in terms of uh, them taking that game? I mean, it was it was Celtics just uh, kind of kind of forgot uh, that they're the number one defensive team in the NBA. In that game, and then uh, the books books took full advantage. I mean, absolutely dominated. Fast break points. They outscored the the Celtics twenty eight to eight points in the paint, thirty four to twenty points off turnovers, twenty seven to six. 
the Bucks defense stood strong. They were very, very impressive. And they just took every advantage that that Celtics team gave them. And that, that made it a comfortable win in the end. It was really impressive performance on the road from Milwaukee showing, flexing that championship muscle, you know. That's, 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 that's exactly what they went in there, exactly what they went and did. But the big thing on it, it was the fact that the Boston missed a lot of open looks. The books gave them a lot of open looks at three, and they missed. But then in game two, they were knocking all those all those shots down, and that's why they they won handy in game two. This is just a really, really interesting series. And one thing I will say is the books are dominating in the paint, and the Celtics are kind of living and dying by the three ball. They died in game one. They they won the game in game two thanks to the threes, but they've got to find a way to get into the paint a bit more because the books are just dominating them and not letting them get into the paint at all. And that has to change because they cannot just rely on the three to go down if they're going to win this series. Yeah, this that's the tough thing is that the Bucks really force you to play their game. Absolutely force you to play their game because they've been doing this all season where they will give bad shooters open looks. And the unfortunate thing with Celtics is that, you know, they do have some bad shooters on that team, guys you can leave open. And in order for them to put out their best defensive line, lineups, they're putting out shooters that the Bucs are very happy to leave out there. And the makeup of the Bucs is interesting because you can put out Giannis, Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez, and still have some spacing with those big guys be massive on the other end defensively. And what you saw is like they just collapsed in the paint anytime there's drives down the middle and there's just no chance. There's no chance to score inside. And I think even though it was open looks, I think that the Celtics definitely got trigger happy and they were taking the first three available. And the Bucks are so long and they're really able to get out on those early shots and it's predictable. You know, drive, drive down the middle, kick out to the first open shot and the Bucks are ready for the rotation. They rotated perfectly. And I, I got to throw this, this stat out here with that big lineup. It's Drew, Wes Matthews, Giannis, Portis, and Lopez. They have a net rating of 15.8. They have a defensive rating of 90.9. That's, that's insane. I mean, they're only putting that out there against like poor shooting teams. So, I mean, obviously this isn't, to say this is like the best lineup of all time, but like defensively, like they, they've done a great job to, to force things their way. And how about Drew Holiday? I mean, they, we predicted it last time around and they're doing it here. They, they did it against DeRozan, they did it against Levine. Drew is making life hell for these guys. He's forcing everything left. And you saw in game two, the way Brown and Tatum were warming up, going to the left. And I think it's worked and how they looked a little bit more comfortable just being ready for it. I'm not sure why they weren't ready for it in game one because it, it felt pretty clear that that copy and paste game plan would be there. Two dominant perimeter scorers in the Bulls, two dominant perimeter scorers in Celtics. Kind of predictable. But offensively, yeah, the, the Celtics, I think, struggled to, to get better looks than the first one they were given. Now go to game two. What do you think of their offense there? Oh, they 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 were smart. They re- remembered that they have talent. They have 
good players on this team and they took that extra bit of time. They didn't just take the first look that they got. They had 28 assists in this game. The ball movement was superb, especially in the first half. They put up 65 points and they were lights out, especially from, from deep. Obviously, they ultimately finished uh, going 20 of 43, 46.5%. I mean, that's that's really impressive. It's a, a huge difference maker in this game, and it, it was everything for them. But we saw it in the first half. Their ball movement was great. They were waiting and finding that open man to take the shot. But then in the sec- in the third quarter, especially, which is when the books kind of really came to life, that was where they stopped moving the ball. Obviously, you got to credit the books' defense, but they were going back to taking the- that first look that they got, and they was just killing them. So it's something that they have to be more confident in, and, it- and it's something that they – They've got to find a way to get into that paint, even get guys in foul trouble, make guys think twice about stepping across to help and and, and, the, and those sort of things. It's going to be, this is going to be a series of inches. Obviously, it's been comfortable wins in the split games in Boston, but mm-hmm. this is still going to be a series, I think, of small inches, individual plays where that's where the difference is going to be. One thing I will say, the, the way Grant Williams, obviously, offensively, oh, yeah. he was great, but the way him and Horford defended Giannis in game two was superb. If that can continue to a similar extent, that's going to be a huge difference maker for Boston in the series. Yeah, uh, often I think I love we're saying offensively because we just said this is all about defense. We won't talk about offense, but um, Graham Williams, I mean, I think he's really making his mark as a elite two-way player. Yeah, I think there's no, no bones about it that the way he's defended um, one-on-one on Giannis, one-on-one on Drew Holiday, which is awesome. There's actually a couple early plays on where where Drew really used his his handle and his shiftiness to get around Williams. He's not he's not as fast as as Drew, so you know he got beat there. But Drew loves to get to his post-up game against smaller guards, and he tried that against Grant several times. And that he didn't score once in the post. Um, actually, no, he had he had one drop step on him, but he was not getting good looks at all against Grant and same thing with Giannis and defensively. I think uh, the story for the Celtics is mostly going to revolve around how they've defended Giannis and, you know, Marcus smart. Don't get me wrong. Marcus smart is absolutely, I mean, defensive player of the year for a reason. And he's there and he's the way he's pestering Giannis, the way he's making things uncomfortable for him or the way he's uh, helping off ball. I think actually, this is a hot take, but I think the Celtics were better defensively without him in game two, specifically because it, it felt like it felt like Smart really wanted to help defensively. And there were so many times when Giannis was on the block and they had a one-on-one matchup in game one with Horford, with Grant, with Williams. And he would just go and help, even though Giannis was not in a good spot. And Giannis was able to, that's how they generated offense. So he would go to the next shooter and the Bucs would really start to get the ball moving. So the, it, was, it was funny that I, I think that Smart, being the gifted defender that he is, is given free reign to kind of do what he wants in those situations. Like, it's up to him if he wants to go and help, if he wants to go and and leave his man. But the Celtics played so disciplined defensively in game two, whether that was, you know, Smart's not there, they really got to step things up, or because, you know, he was really able to, they're really able to just rely on those one-on-one matchups, and they delivered. 
Horford is awesome. Williams is awesome. Um, I, ironically, though, I, Williams wasn't that great. Um, yeah, Rob Williams. Rob, yeah, Rob Williams. He showed, and, he showed a bit, yeah. And I think this is where you specifically see where his skills lie. And as him being a weak side health defender, I mean, he he makes life hell for Giannis. And I think the Bucks have really honed in on that and started putting him on on-ball situations. Because I think the Celtics feel okay with him switching on to Giannis with that length, with that size. But Giannis is just too good downhill. And you saw that in the second half of game two. Game one, I mean, he went 0 for 6 in the first six minutes. I mean, the way he was trying to get in the post, he was trying to create from there, get things going slower half-court style. But in the second half, when like he was just like, all right, I just need to get going, he was unstoppable. And I'm sure we'll see more of that in game three and four uh, where Giannis is going to be able to take advantage of that. But what, what, what do we think about the, the Bucks' offense? Because it's tough. It's tough without Middleton. It, it seems pretty clear. Like the, He is such a reliable source of shot creation and three-point shooting, and they have to get really creative. But it, did you feel like they, they weren't – did you feel like they've been lucky against the Bulls? Or the Celtics just that much better against them defensively? I guess I, I, I'd say it's more probably more Celtics just being a bit better defensively. I think um, they they've obviously been really struggling from three, especially in game two. They're only three of eighteen shooting uh, shooting the three ball, and they weren't really looking to that at all, which is why they they outscored Boston fifty four to twenty four in terms of uh, points in the paint, and I think that's something that. That Boston are trying to do. You know Giannis is eventually going to get things going inside. You know he's going to end up scoring probably minimum 25 points a guy. He's just he's an animal. You can only you can only keep him down there for so long. But they're they're trying to force the, the shot a bit more. And that's something that it, it, it's difficult for them. They're they're probably without their their best three-point shooter. They have other guys who can make shots, but they don't have one where you're gonna be living and dying by his by his three point shot. So the offense has looked pretty good considering they're without a guy like Middleton who has such a big influence on both ends of the floor. But I think they're they're needing someone to get hot. They need Grayson Allen to be playing like he did uh, against Chicago or, or Pat Conson to get hot. <laughs> it's weird. Game. He's not shooting eighty percent from three. Also, now <laughs> uh, he just needs to start getting booed more. Yeah, exactly. He needs to. He needs to be the uh, the old, the old villain just a bit. He needs to get that. He's got that Trey Young mindset, you know. Yeah, I, I think the I think the Bucks have been ironically a little bit uncomfortable with the Celtics switching everything. Mm. A lot of their a lot of their offense was successful against uh, the Bulls running a drop coverage, and you know Giannis would be able to get in space. Their screeners, well, they were able to roll into space, fade into space. And, but the Celtics have stayed disciplined with that. And no matter what the matchup was, um, obviously they were helping on Giannis driving down the middle, but they switched everything. And no one is able to get an open look. And you're absolutely right. No one's confident enough to you know, take that shot. Javon Carter is not going to be pulling up an ISO. Leslie Matthews is not going to be doing that. Pat Connaughton is not going to be doing that. And they really struggled when Drew gets off the floor and they have to rely on, you know, uh, Carter, Allen, Connaughton. They're, they're fine secondary playmakers, but when the ball is not in Giannis's hands, I mean, he, they really need to do that. Like they need to 
just fully rely on Giannis, having the ball in his hands. I know that they've they've liked to switch things up and keep Giannis playing at center uh, offensively, but like he they they need to just fully go in on that because that was the only way they were getting looks is when he was just getting downhill against anything that wasn't fully set up. You know, they it's second his ball the ball was in his hands in the half court and he was just running downhill in that second half of the second game, but. Um, I, I wonder though, is that, that frustrates me, man. Cause I feel like Grayson Allen, I mean, he's had open looks and like, that was the bulls weren't winning that series, but the way that Grayson Allen was hitting his shots at those times, <laughs> it just frustrates me, man, because like he was really putting it away and they just played so much better. And I, I think you're right. I think the defense clearly so much there's such a big difference between a team like the Bulls and a team like the Celtics who up and down the roster have way better defenders and are perhaps even coach better defensively as well yeah but to a point you made I think uh Marcus Smart that came out today he's hoping to be back for game three I think as much as he has had free reign for this whole season and as much as he is at this very moment the best defender in the league they have to talk to him. They have to tell him to be more disciplined because being disciplined defensively is what worked for them in game two. So that's something that they're gonna have to they're gonna have to work smart back into, and just not give him put him on put him tighten the leash just just a little bit, not too much to take away the the shifty witness and the the amount of steals that he gets. But they gotta they gotta make sure that he slots back in and fits well. To the same defensive system that they played in game two, which worked so well for them. Yeah. Uh, off- offensively, are you worried about because how much of the first, the second game was first half greatness from Jalen Brown? Yeah, he only missed one shot to me. It was, it was pretty. He was, was unconscious. I mean, they're not going to stay that hot from, from deep. That's just not going to, that's not something they can rely on consistently. They're going to be solid from three. They can be good from three, but they can't be, they're not going to stay lights out like they did. But luckily they can rely on the defense. I mean, they held the books to 40 points in that first half. Ultimately only 86. The, the books didn't score over 50 in, in, a, in either half in game two. So they can rely on their defense to get some stops. It's just a question of, can they find a way to get some scoring inside the paint battle? I keep saying it. It's going to come down to that. It's going to come down to Boston being able to score in the paint, and they're going to have to really find a way. That's got to be their main focus right now is finding a way to get looks inside. They will. I don't think they will. It's 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 with the lineup as it's currently constructed. It doesn't exist. I don't think that opportunity exists, especially if Marcus Smart comes back. You know, last game, you know, they, they get that unreal performance in Jalen Brown, Peyton Pritchard finally hit some shots. Grant Williams goes six for nine from three. I think everyone else has a bit more. They come down to earth a bit more. Derek White still doesn't know how to shoot threes anymore. Al Horford, one for five. And I think it's starting to really settle in that they have to live or die by it. And what it was taking, and this is what happened in the second half, and I think this is what opened the door for what we're talking about right now is, is it going to come down to the paint scoring? is that the second half, like, they just didn't look at the rim. Like, they would – the Celtics would get into the paint, not look at the rim, kick it out, and the Bucs knew. And it was so – it was so 
easy for them to rotate because like there wasn't even an obvious shot that was going to be made because there's just too much length inside. Like they're not shooting over Brooke Lopez, Giannis and Fortis at the same time. Who's going to step up as a shooter? I, Al, Al Horford can't keep up like taking five, six, seven threes a game. Derek White's not going to hit shots. Robert Williams is not going to hit shots. Who's going to space the floor? And they, they don't, I don't think that's the biggest weakness of this team. And that was supposed to be the weakness that a guy like Aaron Neesmith was supposed to fix like a dead eye shooter, like pulling someone out of the paint, somebody, anybody, but nobody's doing that. And maybe you got to get Tatum off the ball a little bit more. I think that might be an answer. Jalen Brown, you know, really struggled on ball in game one. I mean, in the first half, like all three times that he was actually like putting the ball on the floor, like just turning it over. And this game, it looked a lot different. It looked a lot more decisive. Would that be a reason to maybe give give Tice a couple more minutes? Obviously, he's no not amazing. He's not going to shoot either. He can, he can shoot more than any of their other bigs. What? Dude, like that would be welcome. That'll be a welcome sight. I think that's why he's not even, he didn't even play. He, oh, no, he's not going to let him shoot. But if you think, yeah. like the way you're talking, in terms of their centers, he is the only one that could go to the corner and you could have some slight ounce of of confidence. Don't get me wrong. I, I think the the books, if that did happen, would probably just let him go. But it's maybe something Absolutely. to try possibly to, to maybe have them think, uh, think twice on, on on the on the odd play that's maybe maybe something we'll we'll see but again, again it's nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing that you can rely on too much really yeah but i think it's this is an obvious reason that you know teams got to retool in the offseason but I, I think that the celtics are not going to win by by playing inside and scoring inside but i think they, they can win with their defense yeah they, they can yeah. definitely win with their defense because that's the only reason they won game two outside of obviously that really great first half um, cause I think that the bucks, the bucks didn't change anything. And I think offensively it, it's just probably tiresome. You know, how tiresome is that for the Celtics that, you know, they're, they're, the bucks aren't making adjustments. They're just going to keep doing the same thing. Okay. You, you want to shoot three? Okay. Keep shooting threes. Good luck. And that has to be tough for them, but they kept with it defensively and they kept being good without any gimmicks. There's just zero gimmicks. There's just we are going to switch everything. We are going to go one-on-one on Giannis when he's at baseline. We're going to help when he gets down the middle and we're going to be up in your grill. We're not going to let shooters get open looks. And it was just that simple. Like they just were more disciplined, more physical. They were better defensively. And I think they can win the season. I think it's impressive to, to say this. And I say this confidently, like the Celtics can beat the Bucks with defense, just defense. And they, and that's probably the formula, honestly, at this point, because you have two, amazing scorers like Tatum and Brown, they're going to hit tough shot that you got to have tough shot makers in the playoffs. And it's going to feel like this nineties game where it's just, it's brutal. No one's really getting easy looks. You know, you can't really stretch flags. I don't think there's a lot of elite shooters on either of these teams. And it's just going to come down to who's going to be disciplined and who's going to be physical and, you know, be the better defensive team across the seven game series. And, this will be the crowning, I feel like, for the Celtics if they if they win this with defense alone, on them being like best defensive team in the league, like they to stop the Bucks, to stop Giannis, to stop such a a powerhouse with defense alone, not some variance of 
like random shooting and hot nights here and there, anything fancy, just like, no, we're going to beat you with physicality and defense. That would be such a, such a coronation of a true contender and they can fix that next year offensively, but defensively, this is, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. It's, it's kind of so interesting. You always look to offense more during the regular season, but the uh, defense is where it really comes down to in crunch moments in the postseason, And we're seeing it here. This is a defensive battle and, we're going to really see now, are, are the Celtics truly up to it? Are they truly what we have seen for the second half of the series, the first round, and that game too? It's a it's really, really interesting series. I'm thinking, I'm still confident in the Celtics, but I'm thinking there could be another split here going back to Milwaukee for these games three and four. Oh, yeah. I still think this is a seven-game series. Did I say that originally? No, you didn't mention it, yeah. Okay, well, I'll, I'll lock that in now. Is that fair? <laughs> I think I said seven. I said seven. Good, I said uh, Celtics in seven. I mean, we're looking at both of these. No, we, we don't need to pull receipts or anything, but uh, I think I said that. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I like it. I, I think we, although I did say it for the Nets uh, series too, but uh, this is uh, this is looking a bit more, I can be a bit more confident in after a couple of games saying it now, but it's the the the, the, ba- the battle of the defense and it's, uh, it's a really, real, really interesting one here and it's a bit... Uh, Bit different for Grizzlies Warriors, but those two games looking like they could go seven games, and then we got the other two that are looking like they could be sweeps. It's a bit of a paradigm. It's interesting that they're uh, those are the way that they have the games broken down the two, uh, the two sweep sides, and then the two, the two interesting ones, you know. Yeah, uh, before we go here, I, I want your take for a guy that I'm sure is near and dear to your heart. Phil Jackson is going to advise and heavily influence the Lakers' next head coach. As a member of Knicks Nation, for the beloved Knicks that the, that the Phil Jackson era put together, oh, how confident do you feel about this move? Uh, he must be back on to, he must be back on to Janie, is he? Is that why I feel that's how I feel? <laughs> <laughs> Family business, man. Oh, Family God. business. Oh man, I wouldn't. I don't know. I, I, that's how. But it's just a head coach, and uh, the Lakers are, have the pull of the Lakers with the the players they've got. They might uh, might make it a bit easier for him. But uh, seeing what he's done as a as a front office person before, I wouldn't be too confident now. No. <laughs> and in related news, Mark Jackson is emerging as a finalist for the Sacramento Kings. Just the turnaround they needed. Sorry to hear Exactly me. what they needed. <laughs> Gosh. Well, guys, thanks for sticking with us. This playoffs has been so fun. These last two games we've had here have been unreal from uh, those last two teams, Celtics and Bucks, Grizzlies, Warriors. Hopefully the other two get a little bit more interesting. We'll be back next week to break these down and uh, hopefully have a chance soon to uh, talk about some offseason for some of these playoff teams. Really want to talk about the Jazz. Um, of course, that random report, who knows how accurate it is. Rudy Gobert seems to think it's not accurate, but maybe he is saying Hammer Mitchell. At any rate, it's fun to talk about, even if it's not true. <laughs> but we'll be back next week. We'll see you then. Enjoy playoff basketball. Take care. Final word, Luka Doncic, his, his individual greatness will get the, the, the Mavericks at least one win. That's, that's something I want to. I want to say, Luca will get them. Not of JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee. (laughs) Has anything to say about that?
That, that, is a, that is the best deal they are going over, but that is the best deal in Duck I, I've ever seen, just, just relatively. Just the fact that it's JaVale McGee stealing it from Luka Doncic of all people and going for the slam. That was, that's play of the week. I'll, I'll nominate that as my play of the week. I think I'd have to agree. All right. See you guys. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Coast to Coast. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Coast to Coast NBA Podcast to hear your takes discussed right here on the show. And remember, take every shot and love every moment.